0: Amen. I hope you're in the book of Ephesians. Let me just kind of give you a little rundown. Uh, the purpose of this letter to the believers, uh, it's, it's, it's our theme for the summer. What Paul the Apostle was in endeavoring to do in writing this letter to the church in Ephesus was he wanted to strengthen the brethren. He knew we needed to be strong spiritually. That theme is throughout the book. And what are we doing this summer? We're devouring the book of Ephesians. I mean, we're eating it up. I hope you're eating it up. I hope you're pondering. I hope you're praying. I hope you're listening. I hope you're meditating on the, on the, on the passages of scripture that we've been sharing and just get a really firm handle on the letter to the Ephesians. I think it is one of the most powerful books. It's all powerful, but Ephesians has, is just a, is just what I call chock full of great revelation to get us strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Uh, in fact, gosh, there's scriptures all throughout, and I do not go through them, but, uh, you know, Ephesians 16, 6.10 is our summer verse. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. So. That's what it's all about, and so that's why we're in the book of Ephesians, and we learn that it's divided into two parts, really, the first half and the second half, kind of like a football game, uh, and the first three chapters are, are words of insight uh, into who we are in Christ. How many of you know it's important to understand who you are in Christ? Some of you know a little bit about who you are on a personal level, but we've got to learn who we are in Christ. Everyone say in Christ. Because when you read through Ephesians, you're going to discover really all of Paul's writings and even the words of Jesus. How many of you know Jesus said, abide in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, he's talking about living in him and abiding in Christ. When we get the understanding of who we are in Christ, everything begins to change in our life. How many of you know when you get a hold of your eternal position in Christ, it can change your temporal condition? Hello, everybody, everybody look up. it not in your notes yet. When you get a hold of your eternal position in Christ, it will change your temporal condition. A lot of people want their temporal conditions to change. Now, let me say some of them won't change till we see him. Uh, how many of you know there's we live in a in a fallen world, but uh, everybody wants Jesus to fix their mess on this world. Hey, He he can change things, but it comes from getting a grip on who we are in him. And the first three chapters of Ephesians have to do with that. And you learn who you are in Christ and what he's done for you and, and that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principality and power. And then the second, or or the second half, or the next three chapters are, are, have to do with implement, implementation of what we've learned as people who are in Christ. In other words, we walk out what we learn. How many of you know it's not head knowledge we need, it's head knowledge that needs to drop down into our heart and we begin to apply it in our life, amen? And so, in fact, I gave you this illustration. If you go to Ephesians chapter one, verse four, it says he chose us in him, there it is, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. How many of you know that's God's will and plan for our life? That's who we are in Him, holy and without blame, before Him in love. How many of you know the word justified? We've been justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Hello? How many of you like that? But now, look over in chapter 4, verse 1. I beseech, I I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. In other words, this is who you are. Now start applying it in your life. Amen? Amen? So that's the book. It's a book of insight and revelation of who we are. And then it's a book of implementation, how we walk it out. In fact, uh, we're going to, on Sunday, um, I think one of the exercises on Sunday morning is the exercise of walking in the book of Ephesians, because there's like five places, five different ways we walk, okay? And we walk it out. Everybody say, walk it out. Uh, and so we'll be looking at that on Sunday morning. Uh, but you've got to work it out. You've got to walk it out. It, it, just because you know, uh, something about who you are in Christ, you've got to work it and walk it out in your life. So that's the book, uh, and, and kind of in a nutshell. Last week, we worked out in the will of God. I'm telling you, last week on Wednesday night, uh, was revelatory for a number of people came to me and said, man, pastor, that was a message for me. Everybody wants to know the will of God. And we, we, we learned that, that there's, there's two kinds of will, or there's two levels of will, or the, you know, there's there's the standardized will of God. How many of you know it's the will of God for all of us to walk worthy of the calling wherein we're called? That's God's will. It's God's will for us to obey. Here's the standardized will of God. It's God's will for us to obey His word. And then there's the personalized will of God that that is specific to our own life. And we learned this that if you want the personalized will of God to be made manifest in your life. You're going to have to get really serious about the standardized will of God. You can't live on your own terms and expect God to speak to you specifically about the destiny of God for your life. And when we get plugged into the will of God in our life, not only in the standardized then the, and then the personalized will of God, it begins to empower us to fulfill his kingdom purpose and strengthen us in who we are in Christ. Amen. Everybody say the will of God. I see Andrew back here. Man, I tell you what, I have fallen in love with Andrew. Andrew works at Lamar. And again, give me your official title, your academic advisor. And he's got schools all over the nation wanting to hire him. And he's praying about the will of God for his life. And, uh, you know, if God speaks to him uh, about making a change, uh, I, I trust he hears the Will of God for his life. And because how many of you know, God has a progressive will for all of our lives. And if you talk to Andrew, I guarantee you, because I know how God touched his life. His first week here, I think he came in set sat right over here. I don't know. And he's never left. Okay. How long you been here, Andrew? A year and a half. I'm telling you, never left. In fact, he said, I'm going to miss Sunday. I hadn't missed one in a long time. Uh, and so, uh, man, he plugged in. And I can guarantee you, if you ask Andrew, was it the will of God for him to come to, to Beaumont, Texas and work at Lamar University as an academic, uh, no, not a, uh, uh, academic advisor, he would say absolutely. God made a big, big, did a big work in his life. And man, uh, as I tell, say about a lot of people, I'd like to clone him because you talk about faithful. Uh, and so we're going to, if you move, we're going to draw blood and start working on that, Andrew. Uh, amen. So, hey, all of us, God has a specific will for all of our lives. Amen. How many of you have experienced the will of God in your life? I mean, man, you just realize how many of you've ever gotten out of the will of God? For You know, oh, man. Uh, and, and here's a little mini message before I get into the message about the will of God, uh, about uh our next level—a little mini message about the will of God. People want to know that how do I determine uh, the direction for my life? God guides us by His peace, Amen. His, in, His the peace on the inside of our life. I want to show you a passage of Scripture. I think I can find it off the cuff. This was not uh, Colossians. Uh, here we go. Uh, yes, Colossians three fifteen says, "Let the peace of God." Rule your heart. Everyone say, let the peace of God rule your heart. The word rule is, is the Greek, from the Greek word where we get the word umpire. Now, how many of you know the umpire in baseball? He tells you if it's or out or if it's a foul ball or home or whatever. And, and listen, the peace of God needs to be the umpire of your heart. And that's what Andrew is praying for. I just want to know the peace of God for my life. And when you're praying about something and you get God's peace, have you ever prayed about something, wondering if it's the will of God? And on the inside of you, it was like, eh, you know, there's more, eh, no, eh, you know, you just eh, God, and you go something on the inside, and you, and you really want to do this, and you oh, just, eh, you know, it's the it's that God's inner. Man, I don't feel peaceful about this and then have you ever prayed over something and man you just oh is this your will and as you pray it just something sets up on the inside of you, and you say, mm, that's the will of god amen so last week we talked about the will of God and we worked it out in the will of God. And I pray you'll continue to work it out in the will of God. It'll make you strong tonight. We're going to do a light workout because uh, and the reason I say a light workout, there's a whole lot to work out in this next topic. And we're going to work out in the grace of God tonight. Everybody say the grace of God. Oh, my goodness. Uh, in fact, Ephesians is all about the grace of God. And how God's grace comes and, and provides us an avenue and a way and a means, uh, to be in right fellowship with God. So here's how we're going to begin. We're going to just walk through all the verses that the, in Ephesians that have to do with the grace of God. And I'll comment briefly. And, uh, then we're going to, sh- and then you know what I'm going to give you a little bit? I'm going to give you a, an overview of the history of humanity in about 15 minutes and kind of put it all into perspective from a biblical uh, perspective that certainly has to do with God's grace in our life. And I I just want you to know that you're going to get an overview of the history of the world for our history of humanity from the beginning to the end in about 15 or 20 minutes. And we're going to see how grace plays an important part in all of that. So how many of you got your Bibles? Here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, the first, the first uh, couple of verses. In fact, it says Ephesians 1, 1. It's really Ephesians 1, 2. But let's read verse 1 and 2 and let's put it all together. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the what? Will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we tend to read these ver- these first verse, introductory verses. Oh, that's sweet. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Listen, Paul is saying something here. And the priority of this letter, this introductory thought, uh, hey, by the will of God I come to you, all you faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you. It's the first real directive uh, uh, declaration over this church. The first real words, he, ca- he calls them faithful, but then he says, grace to you. Look at your neighbor and say, grace to you. Grace to you. I'm telling you, that's important. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Paul is setting them up for, for an insight here into what we'll see in just a moment as the new mystery that has been un, unfolded before, uh, uh, the church, the new, the New Testament church there at Acts and throughout the beginning of the church history. Uh, now look in verse six through eight of the same chapter. It says this, oh gosh, I, I hate not reading this hall in context, but let me just jump in. Uh, he just said in verse 5 that he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his what? Will. Now catch this, to the praise of the glory of his what? Grace. Now catch this, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So we find this, here. here's grace mentioned again. And by the time you get to verse 6, verse Verse 2, he said, grace to you. And then he starts revealing how this grace impacts our life. Now, we'll define it in a moment, which won't be a big surprise to you. But he says, this grace, he said, by the grace, he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, that's a lot there. The word accepted uh, means exactly what you would think it would mean. He, We now, uh, uh, by his grace... We're accepted in the family of God. How many of you know? Uh, just not anybody can be in the family of God. They've got to go through the door Jesus. And it's and as we'll read in a minute, for by grace you're saved through faith. Who who in who Jesus Christ. So those elements are important. But hey, he says this grace that we've experienced made us accepted in the beloved. Now another part of that word accepted means highly favored. Everyone say highly favored. The grace of God has made us highly favored in the family of God or in the beloved. So everyone say, I'm highly favored. That's the grace of God in our life. He says, He says to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the beloved. Now catch this. Verse seven. Here's our position again. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. How did that happen? According to the what? riches of his what? Grace. Now I love that. Now let's, and you'll see this phrase, the riches of his grace again, but what's Paul, pardon me. What's Paul trying to do here? He's trying to just with, with maybe words he couldn't gra- you know, trying to figure descriptives for this unbelievable revelation of God about the grace of God. In people's life. He says, man, it's according to the riches of His grace. We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sin, according to and in harmony with the riches of His grace. Catch verse 8, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence or understanding. Everyone say abound. How many of you like things to abound, good things to abound in your life? This word, it means, this word abound means to super abound. Now, everything's a supersize. You go anywhere that you want to supersize, I don't know the different place, supersize it or mega size, whatever. You know, they want you to abound in it. Uh, but man, this word is like mega super and mean, it almost means, in fact, it does mean, to have an excess of. It's just, I got so much of this, I just don't know what to do. I just, I just overflow. It's just excess. It's not just enough. It's more than enough. It says that's the grace of God. He says that you you abound, uh, uh, he made abound towards us in all wisdom and understanding. Everyone's saying wisdom and understanding. In other words, in order to experience the superabounding excessive overflow of God's favor and grace in our life, we got to have some wisdom and understanding about it. How many of you know if you don't know what you have, you can't walk in it? Okay. So, hey, that's Ephesians chapter 2. Pardon me, Ephesians chapter 1. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're just working it out. Everybody say, working it out. Ephesians 2 verse 5. Look what he says. He says, uh, oh, gosh, we've got to do verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And what does this say? By grace you have been what? You've been saved. Now look down in verse 7 and at, look down in verse 8. For Here he hits it again. Now, how many of you know when people repeat things, it's for important emphasis? Have you ever repeated some things to your kids? Let me just, let me, let me diverge here. Di- let me diverge. How many of you wives think you need to repeat things to your husband? My my wife, died. I just, she's not here. So, and, and, and when I, yeah, look, like we're okay. Uh, could you repeat that? Uh But how many of you know it's for an important purpose? And here he repeats himself. You and and this is, and, and as we close out tonight, you're going to understand. He knows that, that Ephesian believers and all of us have got to get this part down. For by grace, look in verse 7 and 8. He, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's a what? Gift of God. Now Omg! This verse right here is is chock full loaded with revelation truth for this new church. The I mean for the for the believers and for us today, and for because this is the core of the whole purpose of 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 Christianity on planet Earth. Okay, and so why is he repeating himself? Because if you don't get the grace message, you don't have anything for by grace you are through and that's not of yourselves it's a gift of god it's a gift of god everyone say gift of god and that that speaks volumes we're going to talk about that in a minute and how that how that ran through the jewish mindset a little bit so uh uh so Ephesians 2:57 and 8 now go to Ephesians 3 Ephesians 3 verse 1 and 2 for this reason I Paul the Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Now, everyone say Gentiles. Okay. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Everyone say dispensation. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, the dispensa- if, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, I'm going to read a few verses here, how that by revelation he, big H, made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery, everyone say mystery, the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. Now catch this, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of His promise in Christ. Uh Uh-oh, there's that position again. Everyone say in Christ. Okay. Through the gospel. What's the gospel? The good news. Jesus died, paid for our sins on with His blood on the cross, buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, He rose from the dead so we could too have newness of life. That's the good news. That's great news. He says, By which, when you read and may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known, uh uh to the sons of men, but it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of His promise through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the what? Grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. Now, catch verse 8 To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. I'll stop right there. Now, I'm going to give you a synopsis of those eight or nine verses. The grace of God is the mystery revealed. You get it? That's what he's talking about. This, for by grace you're saved through faith. He said it was given, this mystery was uncovered from other ages, from times past. But now, he said, this is now the season for, for the mystery to be revealed. And we live in a great season, okay? And so just keep that in mind. We'll come back to it. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I mean, just I just wanted to read that because there it was, uh, he, and he's talking about spiritual gifts, but it's all by God's favor. Okay, all right. Now look in verse twenty-nine of that same chapter. Uh, verse twenty-nine, he says, uh, "Let no corrupt." This is an interesting one. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Now here's just let me stop. Here's some of the working it out, the application. Remember the implementation of who we are in Christ. Okay, you got to work it out. It doesn't come naturally. How many of you know speaking well doesn't come naturally? We just, by nature, Did anybody have to teach you to cuss? I mean, really, you just heard it once and think, I'll do that. You know, I mean, just so, oh, you know, it's just our nature to speak. Okay, he said, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for necessary, what? Edification or building people up, that it may impart grace, same exact word, to the hearers now this is interesting to me just a side note that our very words the way when we start walking it out and working it out we can the the words we say can impart the favor of god in people's life don't let corrupt uh, conversely what do corrupt words do man how it just you know we shouldn't Remember when we studied James? Man, blessing and cursing out of the, you know, bitter water and pure water. It just makes no sense. It just makes no sense. That's not supposed to be. But we can actually impart the favor of the grace of God to people's life. Now, here's an interesting last one. uh, uh chapter five, there's no reference to the grace of God. It doesn't mean it probably is not there under toe and underlying somewhere. Chapter six, uh It goes all the way to the last verse, and he closes out this chapter with this word. Verse 24, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And everybody say the last word of the book. Amen. <laughs> now, now catch He starts grace to you and then he reveals this mystery for by grace you're saved grace you're saved man grace grace we've got the grace of god the riches of his grace superabounding it, it it helped us you know forgave us of our sin and and made us acceptable and highly favored in the family of god and then he closes out grace with all those who love our lord jesus christ in sincerity now I believe that you could, even though that's just sound like a good concluding remark, I believe you can develop some insight even with those concluding remarks that the grace of God is certainly linked. The capacity of God's grace to operate in our link, in our life is linked to our working it out on a daily basis. Working out our love for God in sincerity. That word sincerity has mean genuineness. Being the real deal. Amen. And I believe when we cooperate with truth, truth is magnified in our life. Here's truth. Grace. We work it out and we apply it and we implement it into our life and we embrace this truth and, and, and we say, I'm going to love Jesus with all my heart and I'm going to love my fellow man. I'm going to be real in this thing. I think, I think the, I think that magnifies and multiplies the impact of the truth of God in our life concerning grace. Amen. In fact, you know what? Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, I'm going to just butcher it a little bit, but it says something like this. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's the next phrase? Everybody say, God forbid. A lot of, there's a lot of greasy grace in the world. A lot of people believe grace you just... Hey, you do whatever you want to. First John 1, 9. It's okay. We're, we're, it's the age of grace. Hallelujah. God has to because he's, he's, he's given us his grace. Well, no, Paul said the same author who wrote Ephesians said, you can't do that. You trample underfoot the, the, the truths of God by, by trying to, to uh, take advantage of the favor of God in your life. And he says, hey, you can't do that. So there's got to be sincerity in our life. There's got to be working it out, walking it out, amen, and it then becomes magnified and multiplied in our life, and everybody said amen. So there are all the verses in Ephesians about the grace of God, just a little quick snapshot. Now, grace defined just simply, uh, you know, it's it. you can't uh, get too deep here. It's just basically what most have defined as unmerited favor or really kindness from God. Me, you could say mega-kindness from God uh, that is undeserved. How many of you know we did not deserve it? If we deserved it, it would mean we worked for it. And it's unmerited favor. Now, that goes against our mindset. We would think, if I favor someone and they don't deserve it, they may abuse it. Oh, they'll just say. Hey, here's the, here's the truth. We were helpless and hopeless without His favor in our life. We're natural-born sinners. And that's the whole mystery of the gospel that Paul talked about in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 3. It's the message of grace, unmerited favor, kindness from God that is undeserved. Now, it's not just blanketly provided, for by grace you are saved through what? Faith, and that's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. So God gave us faith, but we've got to activate the faith of God in our life, amen? And when we activate the faith of God in our life, it activates the grace of God in our life, amen? What, what did Paul tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5, verse, I don't know, 6, 7, I don't, okay, he says, For by, he said, we walk by and not by sight. We we activate the faith of God and it releases the grace of God, the unmerited favor and kindness of God towards us. You got to believe. Everybody say, I got to believe. You got to trust Him. You know, uh, uh, yesterday or day before when I talked to Sharon on the phone when she was, when we learned of the accident that her son was involved in and how tragic it was that his friend did not make it. She's, of course, weeping on the phone, and, and they're there in the hospital, and, and uh, uh, I prayed for them over the phone even though we were out of town, and I couldn't be there, so we prayed together. And I told Sharon this, and, and I know this works, okay, because I've, I've worked it in my life. I said, Sharon, you've got to trust Jesus in this trauma moment. You've got to trust Him. You have question marks. That's why you need faith. Tomorrow I'm going to spend a little time with Hunter, and y'all pray for me. I, he, he needs he needs the Word of the Lord. He needs Jesus in his life in a, in a dynamic way. But listen, f- God's given us faith. We've got to activate the faith of God, and when we do, It releases grace into our life, His favor. You see that? For by grace you're saved through faith. Okay? So, that's how the favor of God is activated in our life. It's through faith. Amen. So, uh, here's a little acronym. uh, Here's an acronym. I just read it and I thought I'd throw it out for you. What is grace? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Everyone say that. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a good way to remember it. We've got the, the favor and the blessing of God on our life because of what Christ did on the cross. He paid for our sins. Amen. That's his grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't, uh, we didn't earn it. He just loved us enough. Uh, and that, In fact, that's what Ephesians uh, chapter 2 says. Go back to Ephesians 2 and, and verse 1 and 2 and you He made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom you also once conducted yourselves, uh, or ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead. In other words, we didn't deserve it but His glove, His great mercy. Somebody say amen. Amen. So, now, let me just give you the snapshot of the history of humanity past and even humanity future. Everyone say dispensationalism. Now, this is just, what is dispensationalism? It's a method of interpreting and understanding biblical history and really the history of humanity by dividing God's work and purposes into different time periods. This 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 word is not necessarily a biblical word, even though you saw uh, just a few moments ago the dispensation of grace uh, in, in chapter three. But uh, theologians have developed this over the years to kind of look at history from the from a biblical perspective, the history of humanity, and put it into seven different dispensations or time periods to help us understand. Now, I'm not going to go detailed in any of these. But, hey, you can write these down and look them up. In fact, just Google it. You're going to find all you want to know about these seven dispensations. It's all over the Internet. I mean, just Google it. I have a friend of mine that, that we text back and forth a lot, biblical questions. Uh, and I texted him the other day and I asked him something. He said, just Google it. Okay, I Googled it. Oh, there it was. All right, I got it. Okay, I wanted him to tell me rather than Google uh, but uh you can Google this. But here they are, the seven dispensations uh as has been developed over the years through theo- theologians and Bible scholars. The first one is the dispensation of innocence. It's the age of Adam and Eve in the garden. That's basically it. Before sin. Okay? That's a that's a time period of Adam and Eve in the garden. And then the next one is the dispensation of conscience. It began after Adam and Eve's eviction from the garden when sin entered planet earth. And and humanity had to begin to develop an understanding of right and wrong, and of conscience, and and it began to be revealed to to humanity that they are natural born sinners. Okay, and 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 so that that's the the dispensation of conscience, and then the next one is the dispensation of human government. It began in Genesis eight after God destroyed the earth. I mean, it didn't take eight chapters for man to get so messed up. Now, we don't know how long that was, but, you know, in eight chapters, humanity got so messed up, God said, I'm just going to wipe them out and start over. They are a mess. And so what happened, God started over with who? Everyone say, Noah. He started over with Noah, and you know the story of the flood. And that began human government, and it really started with Noah and, and humanity being governed by by human leaders up to that point. It's basically God and man. So, so it's the it's the dispensation or the time period of human government. And then came the fourth dispensation; is the dispensation of promise. It started with the call of Abraham, and now without going too deep into it, that's where God begins to call out His chosen people, the Jews, okay? Everyone say, the Jews, all right? Now, I'm wanting to get ahead of myself, but how many of you know God's just not random? Nothing with God is random. God doesn't, there's no such thing rock, paper, scissors with God. He he, he doesn't get up there and go, "Uh uh-oh, Come here, angel. Come here, angel Gabriel. Uh, oh, okay. He's done. No, he didn't do that. Nothing is random with God. Everyone say nothing's random with God. So here we're walking through this history now. God, the history of humanity, and along comes Abraham, uh, and it's it's the it's the the, the dispensation of promise where God began to. Pu- uh, bring forth promises to ch- to his children, the 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 Jews. Okay, it basically ended uh, when the when the Jews exodus exodus from Egypt uh, there and headed towards the promised land. Okay, and then comes the fifth dispensation. It's the dispensation of law. It began with the giving of the law and lasted almost fifteen hundred years. Until it was suspended. Anybody know when the law was suspended? Pardon me? When Jesus, uh, came to planet earth, the law was suspended. In fact, what does it say about Jesus? He didn't, He didn't come to, He came to fulfill the law, complete the law. And when Jesus came on the cross, hey, how many of you know? No more sacrificing animals. Wouldn't church be a bloody place if Jesus hadn't come? I'm telling you. Woo! Your kids had come home all bloody. Oh man, we had great church. I'm telling you, it was a mess. Okay, uh, and so it was the it was the dispensation of the law, and here comes Jesus, and he suspends the law. Okay, as he came to fulfill it, and he introduces, if you will, the age or the dispensation of grace. Now, here's what I was getting to earlier. This is what he was leading to the whole time. Building a scenario and establishing a scenario for humanity who was, who was sinfully separated from God, building a scenario where humanity, by a choice of their will, could embrace God who he loved, who they, who he loved, uh, could embrace God, who loved them with a never-ending never sacrificial love. It's the age of grace, and guess what? We're sitting here tonight, smack dab in the middle of the age of grace, and I'm going to show it to you from a prophetic standpoint here just a second All right, let me do it right now everybody turn to daniel chapter 9 let me see what time it is no matter I'll, time okay i'll move a little quicker but turn to daniel chapter 9 let me show you something daniel man i'm telling you daniel was a visionary he was a pro he could see he saw the end times now daniel 9 verse 24 is his prophecy of the 70 weeks everyone say 70 weeks now, as we know from, from study, that 70 weeks is 70 sets of seven years. Okay? And so, uh, I'm trying to just get you the highlights. Uh, let me just read it. I think I can do it. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. In other words, this is God's plan. Everything's about God's plan, nothing random. Okay, four hundred ninety years of prophetic time clock, and this is his purpose to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy, everyone say the most holy no under- know therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the prince. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street will be built again, and the wall, even the troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary in 70 A.D. Now, let me just throw that... Let me just throw... i go down to verse 21. And then he shall confirm a covenant with many... For one week, speaking of the Antichrist. So I don't want to get too deep here, but here's, here's the first part of all this prophecy of 490 years of God's prophecy. And then Jesus shows up. Okay. And here's what happens when Jesus shows up. The, the, the time, the time clock stops. It's like this. You ever seen an hourglass? And here's basically what he's saying. All these things happen, and and if we had time, I could validate to you the the validity of this, this prophecy. Here comes Jesus, and there is a stoppage of the time clock called the age of grace, the age of the church. And then at the end of the age of the church, there's another week to fulfill of seven years called the what? tribulation everybody go <laughs> anybody here want to be here in the tribulation okay uh i don't plan on it uh i'm not sure i'm even preparing for it my wife would, would think i'm a li- maybe in a little bit of theological potential denial uh but i didn't plan for y2k either and that turned out okay i don't know if that's good theology or not i happen to believe that when Jesus returns in the rapture of the church, we're taken out of here and then the seven-year time clock is turned back on and those prophecies fulfilled. So I wanted to show you this, to, re, to show you that God's not random. We're not living it, but here's the deal. It's a, here Everybody say, what's the deal? Here we are living smack dab. In the middle of the reason, all of this came to be to fulfill God's eternal purpose in the earth and bring man back to God. And, and, and God's not random, man. We are living. It's like the apex of history, and most Christians are living like it's just random days. Ho hum. The tune is dumb. The words don't mean a thing. I gotta go to work this morning. Pay the bill. And we're living in the middle of the age of grace, like it's just, you know, case horrosera, what come, what may come, or however the old song goes. I understand? Do you catch what I'm trying to say here, man? This is, I mean, God just all of the history of past humanity is funneled down to this. Indeterminate. You say, how long is it? Nobody knows. In fact, you read the words of Jesus. Uh, hey, n- uh, hey, only God knows how long we have. It, this could be the dawning of that grand and glorious day. But right now we live smack dab in the middle of the age of grace. And, and let me just throw this out. Any believers in the house today? Okay. And so, so because we're believers in the house today, We're living in the age of grace. We have one huge responsibility. And that is to cause the message of the mystery to be made manifest in all the earth. Now go back to Ephesians if you're back in Daniel. Let me show you this. Look what Paul said. Look what he embraced in Ephesians chapter four, uh, chapter three. He says, uh, verse eight, I'm going to read it again and then I'm going to throw us in there. To me, who am the less, who am less than the least of all the saints, This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Everyone say, make all see. How many of you know that sounds like the Great Commission to me? There's the great commission right there in the middle of the grace of God that all may see and understand and the, and the mystery be revealed to them. Man, what's the mystery? You don't have to work your way into right relationship with God. His grace is made manifest. All you have to do is take a hold of the gift of God by faith and His grace. For by grace you are saved. Saved from what? This last seven years. And all eternity separated from Christ. Okay. Now, let me throw the last dispensation at you, and then we're going to close out. The last dispensation is called the dispensation of the millennial kingdom reign. How many of you know this? Now, this is interesting. I don't, I haven't studied this out much, but, uh, here, here's, here's my little snapshot of what i the church is raptured out. We're with Christ. Everybody, I mean, you know, dead Christ shall rise. And then there is a returning of Jesus Christ, the, 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 the Lord of glory on a white horse. And he sets up governance on planet earth for a thousand years. And at the end, he judges the devil. Now you can read it in Revelation. When I get brave, we'll study Revelation one day. <laughs> when I get brave, <laughs> you know. And let me just throw this out. What's, what's the book of Revelation about? This is a trick question, by the way. Pardon me? The end times? That's what most everybody would say. Read the first two verses. Re, uh, John, uh, I'm going to quote it. He says, he, he says uh, a revelation of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say anything about the end times. Of course, it's about the end time, but it's about Jesus, and it's the only book in the Bible. And, I, and I'm a little nervous even studying it. It's the only book in the Bible that says if you study it and learn it, you'll have a, a, a added blessing for it. Read the first through three verses. It's interesting. Okay, but I, I and so that last dispensation is Jesus Christ. And I suppose the church coming back to earth to rule and reign a thousand years. In fact, it's, mis- it's this is mysterious to me because I believe that lost people will still be here on the earth, and and from what I think I read, people can still be saved. Yeah, and so it's, it's, but hey, I don't want to go through the seven years. Okay, Andrew, if you want to go, that's your choice. I don't want to go. We'll and, and if we do go. We we got grace. Amen. How many of you know grace won't leave the church? Woo, it's super grace. All right, so let me close out here. So you got a snapshot of the history of the world. You got those dispensations and the reality that we live in the age of grace. Now, for Jews and Gentiles alike, the concept of grace was foreign to them. The concept of unmerited favor Being favored by God without earning it, duh! This is the way it works. If a man, here's the scripture for you: If a man doesn't work, don't let him eat. How many of you know the 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 scripture teaches us that you got to earn something in this life? But there's something you can't earn is right relationship with God. I mean, we can earn a living. We can earn respect, we can earn a lot of things, but we can earn a right relationship with God. Now the Gentiles who were not God's chosen at this point, they were on the governance of no hope. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. He said this to these Gentiles. At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise and having no hope and without God in this world. Here's where they're, here's their, can you, can you imagine being a Gentile, uh, during the Old Testament, you don't have any hope. The Jews were God's chosen, and they were, but how many even you know they trampled on their on their chosenness? And God knew they would trample on their chosenness, and He He began to make way for the Gentiles. And well, the Gentiles had no hope. Hey, Paul said, "Hey, before this great." You were just without hope and, and didn't have God in this world. Now, for the Jews, this grace was foreign because they were in the governance of law. They, their whole thing was you obey the rules. Look what it says about them in verse 15. And it says, here's what Jesus did, verse 14 and 15. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, speaking of Gentiles and Jews, having abolished in his flesh The enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. In other words, when he when he died on the cross, he dealt the final blow to to the being governed by the law. Now we're governed by God's grace in our life and His mercy in our life. But He says, so what's He saying? The Jews were under the governance of the law. They they just they. It's obeying all the rules. And how many of you know, if we had time, we could look. God gave them all these rules to prove to them that they could not do it. And you know what the religious leaders of the day did? They realized they couldn't do it, so they would change it. In fact, Jesus referred to this in some of the Gospels. He said, you've heard that it was said, and he would say something that was a a divergent understanding of the original law. In other words, they changed the law. He said, you've heard that it was said. This, and it would be a misquotation from, from the Jewish, you know, rabbis and whatnot, because they, we can't keep it. So we just change it. Okay. And they would change it. But, but the scripture teaches that God gave the law because it's just so they don't the, in fact, it was just a babysitter until the age of grace. Did you know that just to kind of hold the fort until these dispensations could pan out for Jesus to come? Nothing random by God. God didn't look down and say, oh, gosh, they can't keep the law. I guess I'm going to have to change something. No, this was God's plan all along. Are you with me? All right. So so they, it was foreign to them. And so here's the... Oh, I'm standing up now. That doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean we're about done. Uh, it means that bench is kind of hard. Okay, here comes Paul in Ephesians. He's dealing with the Gentiles. They, they, they just... These Jews got it sewed up. And he comes and says, not anymore. There's a mystery been revealed. Apostles and prophets got it. There's a new age of grace upon us. Everybody can be born again if they want to be. Because God loves everybody. Not just the Jews. Now, this was hard to swallow. Now, let me quickly, let me see if I can do it quickly. All right, let me do this. Look at Acts. Go to Acts chapter 10 quickly. Now, here's the church. Now, they're walking in the age of grace, right? Acts 10. Go to Acts 10. They're walking in the age of grace. And Acts chapter 10, Peter has this vision. I don't have time. You read it. Would y'all read these two? He has this vision. In fact, I've been pretty close to where he had this vision, where he lived there. And he's having this vision uh, and, and it's, and it's all these unclean animals coming down out of heaven. And he hears the voice come to him, verse 13, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord. Now here's Peter. He's a preacher of Pentecost. You get it? But he's a Jew. He's done preach Pentecost. I'm telling you, they're, they're having serious church. But, but the Holy Spirit, he falls under this, this, this trance and, and this, he sees this vision. Out of all these unclean animals, and the voice from heaven says, "Rise, Peter, kill and eat." And, uh, and a voice, he said, I, "That's unclean." He said, I, and a voice spoke to him again. The second time, "What God has cleansed, you shall not call un, uh, common." And so, basically, while he's having this, there's a guy named Cornelius. He's a devout man, but he's a Gentile. He's a Roman centurion, and he's been he's been He's been kicking against the Jewish goad, if you will. He's been falling in love with God. He's been wanting God to show himself to him and his family like he knows God's been doing to the, to the Jews. And he's praying. The Bible says he's a devout man. And he prayed to God continually. Now, this guy, Cornelius, refused to believe that God's love was just for the Gentiles. Or, pardon me, just for the Jews. And so here's Peter having his, his vision, and here's Cornelius praying, and God speaks to Cornelius and tells him, hey, you go down and get Peter and bring him to the house. The Different cities. And all of this, how many of you know nothing's random with God? Everyone say nothing's random with God. And so what, and so, uh, hey, all, because of all of this, here comes Peter, and he starts preaching for the first time to a Gentile audience. Now, look over in verse 44 of chapter 10, and I'm going to move quickly. While Peter was still speaking these words, He's preaching to them the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed uh, and were astonished, as many as came with Peter. In other words, he had a, a little entourage. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Uh, then they ask him to stay a few days. Now, stop right there. I just got to throw this out. Uh, I've been to Israel two or three times, and and you can get because because you can get really close to it, geographically to where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. It's pretty cool because it's 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 there. I mean, they under they know where Caesarea is. It's by the sea. I've been there. Ryan, you were there. We got real close. I thought, man, this is where. The the plan unfolded or was revealed. The mystery was revealed from the... Hit, I mean, all of it funneling down to this moment. It's not just about the Jews. It's about everybody. It's the mystery of grace. So it's pretty cool. If you ever get a chance to go, you need to go. And so now here's what happens. Man, the church hears about this chapter 11, and there's a, oh my lord, there's, there's problems. So what are we saying? Even the, the church who were, who were Jews, they could not swallow, it was hard for them to swallow the message of grace. And so there was a big, there was a, what my daddy used to call, there was a big yow-yow. I mean, that's just, oh, now wait a minute. He's been under preaching to these Gentiles, a Roman centurion. Oh my gosh, what's going on? And so Peter comes and he shares the story and what God said and how he, the Holy Spirit was, had fallen on them. And verse 18 of chapter 11 says, and when they heard these things, they became silent. Now this is his story. History unfolded. They became silent. Now, that's miraculous in and of itself. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Now, what does that mean? Grace. So, wow. We live right in the middle of it. This is the age we live in, the age of grace. Nothing random with God. And Paul was chosen, as we read in, in Ephesians 3, by God to be the primary revealer of the mystery to the rest of the world. Now, let me close with this question. Why do you think God put us here in this age? We have that same responsibility that Peter had. Paul, pardon me, Paul and Peter. But Paul said that he made known this mystery That I've got to preach this message to the world. We're living in a historically, spiritually significant moment in history where God is providing an open door of opportunity for red and yellow, black and white, Jew and Gentile alike to be ushered into the family of God. And we're here. As administrators, if you will, of the grace of God. Our very words can speak grace into people's lives. And so I want to encourage you tonight to, to, to walk. Here's what I want you to leave this room being strong in. Because what's it all about? We're working it out in the grace of God. Man, I'm strong in the understanding of grace. That this is God's mystery revealed. That I'm an ambassador for Christ and an administrator, if you will, of the grace of God to the rest of the world. I want to administer God's grace. Now, I want to, I just, I have a tendency to use things that are on my heart and in my mind. I think a hunter who's traumatized by this car wreck, I don't know this, I don't know anything, but how many of you know, on this very best day, he thinks it's his fault? If everything, how many of you know, I don't know the circumstance, but on the best of circumstances, right now he's at home trying to, come to grips with what happened two days ago. What do you think it would what good would it do for me to walk in there and say well Hunter were you speeding? Hunter was it your fault? Look what you did Hunter. How horrendous is that? What does he need? He needs some grace. And and I don't know. Hey, I'm not. Bless his heart. I I hesitate to use this as an illustration, but he needs grace. We all need grace, but that's like, hey, here we are. We've got the message of grace. The last thing we need to do is, is, is the whole world needs grace. And we're the administrators of the grace of God. Amen. So I want you to be strong in that. Wow, I've got the message. I've got the call. I'm here in God's designated moment for the whole world to be born again. I'm here in the smack dab middle of the age of grace. God's given me a message of grace, an administrator of grace. I want you to just catch that, be strong in it. Because when you get strong in the grace of God, you start working it out, it's, it's gonna be magnified and manifest in your life in, in mega abounding kind of ways. Amen.